so people can know. Okay, this this part only exists because I am observing this universe. So I can change how it looks, but I cannot change its structure, its core, its nature. It's the universe is the universe. Um, so all people can do is can feel the universe in our own visual way, but we can't really affect its nature. Um, yeah. So I I, I kind of hope. Uh, an interactive or a digital piece can have its own identity instead of uh, just a passive system that's reacting to people's uh, interaction. Welcome to another episode of the Creating New Spaces podcast. In this interview, I'm talking with Steph Lee about one of his installations called Phase. Steph was originally from Beijing and is now based in London. He's a packed ground in computer science and then moved into media arts. His works gained international recognitions with exhibitions across the US, Japan, Spain and Brazil. His achievements include a jury selection at the Japanese Media Arts Festival and a nomination for the prestigious 3D Interactive Luminal Award. In the space, the generative images are projected onto frosted glass to create an almost floating-like illusion. The participants pick up a con- custom control device in their hands. The system behind the piece takes a rule set from the Wolfram's physics projects to generate a cluster of universes. These then split into Chinese ink painting strokes. The participants' continuous interaction with the device in their hands injects energy into the universal system, makes it drive forward. This interaction also enlarges the, the ink painting area. And finally, the whole universe collapses. In my eyes, this piece brings together interaction and computational logic in a new way to create something that's really deep and meaningful. As well as focusing on the piece, some of the other things we discuss is like a really simple taxonomy of different types of interactions and what Steph's currently working on. Steph, welcome to the Creating New Spaces podcast. What's it like to experience phase? Um, it- I think for most people at the very beginning, it might be very confusing because what they say is very abstract, kind of almost, you know, it's it's quite difficult for some people to figure out what they are saying. But when they're picking up the controller, which is actually glowing and kind of inviting them to play with it, and when they start rotating the things, they will immediately figure out, okay, this, this visual, whatever it is, is reacting to my interaction. Uh, then as they play with the controller, they will say, okay, they also, the fact the there's a new visual is coming up in the screen, which based on their interaction, so they kind of still, so they know, okay, it's, it's interactive one. And so it's, it's a kind of gradually fitting back between the interaction and the visual. So it's, it's gives a lot of room for the participants to figure out, okay, what they are saying. So I was hoping you need, uh, when, once they play enough, spend enough time with the visuals, they thought, okay, I kind of know what it is, but I still don't know what's the idea behind. Then that's the time they will go back to raise the wall text, uh, where it kind of tells you, okay, it's about the generative universe. Uh, it, there's a uh, kind of contrast between the structural uh, kind of mathematical structure behind the visuals and the uh, ink painting visuals, which you, which representing the humans, can actually see from nature. Mm. So I've got a few more questions about what you've just been talking about as well. So first of all, 
this whole picking up an object is not a very common natural activity in a, in a gallery. I'm always really interested in this sort of tension about how do we do we, do we put instructions about things or do we just let people discover things? How did you deal with that in this particular piece? Um, so I'm actually done a lot of interactive installation before. Uh, one thing I figured out is there's basically two uh, fundamental ways for people to interact with something digital. One is uh, the installation is picking up um, passively uh, the participants say lo uh, locations or their movement and they directly react to it. Another one is to ask the participants to actively interact with a piece. Um, we've, we've tried different things before, like say you have to use your cell phone to send signals to the piece. Or like in this case, I used a bespoke custom-made uh, controller um, to, uh, to, to allow the participants to uh, interact with the piece. The rhythm for this is I, for this particular piece, I need, I need it to be a one-to-one -one experience. So the one who is picking up the controller needs to know, okay, I'm the, I'm the one who's interacting with the piece. It's very important conceptually because you are the own, you are the unique, the only observer to this universe, which you know everything is kind of depends on your interaction instead of uh, a collective experience. Mm. So I'm always think of it as almost being actually in a category of. I think of those reflecting mirrors of a single person's doing something and a piece is taking that and interpreting that. Yeah. And it sounds like part of the way you actually built the understanding of the interaction is it's quite binary. Someone moves the object and the, the piece yeah. changes. Did that help with the interaction, yeah. understanding the interaction? Yeah. Um, so in, in this piece, there's, there's actually uh, multiple layers of interaction. The very first one is the controller itself has like a glowing LED effect. You know, the same things you can see on the, on the Mac before. Uh, they don't have it anymore, but, you know, there's a LED like glowing slowly and it almost like the controller itself is breathing. So it's kind of inviting people to pick it up. And as soon as you pick it up, the LED will go full bright. And so people will know, okay, this, this controller at least is, is reacting to itself. And it has a gyroscope sensor in it. So as long uh, while you're like rotating the, the controller in different directions, you'll see the visuals responding to your interaction. So this is also a direct link to it. So people will start to use this controller as, you know, like a, like a sphere where, you know, in, in like a traditional 3D mouse. So they rotate and trying to say more. And... While they are doing this, there's more visuals, like where more kind of things linked to this controller will be revealed. So it's kind of, you know, uh, there's like different things for, for the participants to explore. And before, hopefully, before they lose their interest, new things will come up in the visuals to keep them going. So it, uh, until they reach the final point, okay, they, they trigger the collapse of the current universe cluster. And then the system rebooted itself. That's that's where I hope a person can you know uh, can experience the full 
lines of this duration. I actually find that really interesting in the piece, the duration of it, that there's actually, it doesn't just keep on going, it actually does collapse and have an end, end, ending to it. Yeah. How did people respond to that? Because it's actually, it's, it's more like a narrative experience rather than an interactive experience. Yeah, so uh, I think it's, it's, it's kind of important, more important, of the concept than to the experience for me at this point, because one one of the core concept in this piece is the the universe has its own kind of structure or order. Uh, all it does is just to evolve itself based on the simple mathematical rules, and regardless of uh, you know whether there are people observing it, so it will just grow on itself. Um, so even though there is no interaction, the universe will cut at a, you know, a few hundred steps. It will stop evolving. And after a while, it will collapse itself. The only difference is if there's interaction, uh, the website where the ink painting style, visual style will be reviewed. So people can know, okay, this, this part only exists because I am observing this universe. So I can change how it looks, but I cannot change its structure, its core, its nature. It's, the universe is the universe. Um, so all people can do is can feel the universe in our own visual way, but we can't really affect this nature. Um, yeah, so I, I, I kind of hope uh, an interactive or a digital piece can have its own identity instead of uh, just a passive system that's reacting to people's uh, interaction. Is interesting about your work is it's it starts with a conceptual idea and then the interaction sort of flows into that particular concept as as well. How did the actual idea for this particular piece start? Um, it's it's very interesting because I think it's a um, Dr. Stephen Wolfram. Um, he proposed a new fundamentals of a theory of physics. I think in March of twenty twenty. Um, but he's been playing with that system for a long time because he was uh, one of the students of John Conley. So he's been playing the same idea like in the, in the game of life where you use a very simple mathematical equation and by iterating on itself, they kind of produce um, many complicated um, systems or graphs. Uh, he, he, he then uses that new system to kind of you know get a few... Uh, equations to start with and then the thing will grow up into a thing he calls hypergraph and in the article he proposed if we uh, he, he was able to actually reconstruct some of the very fundamental physics rules from a field hypergraph say the speed of light and the demon uh, uh, like space dimensions or you know um, and the few rules like we 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 definitely can can feel this is a physical structure so he claims if they find the correct equation we might be able to recreate the whole universe rules of our own universe um so i find it's very interesting both in the result and the um kind of the process because you know in the modern science you what you do is you um you observe a phenomenon um, and then you conclude of a theory, a hypothesis, and which fits the phenomenon we observe. And then we do more experiments to confirm it or disapprove it. 
Um, but this one is coming from a pure mathematical, uh, you know, route. And then, then we say the result, okay, this might be the right way for us at least to recreate a very structural and meaningful universe structure. Um, so this uh, rings the bell of a traditional Chinese philosophy called Taoism, which we believe the universe coming from one thing and then it's kind of growing itself into com more complicated things until we say the world today. So at this point, I'm not really thinking of Wolfram theory as a you know scientific hypothesis, but more like a way of thinking or a, a philosophy. And I think it, it, there's definitely a connection between the naive Chinese philosophy and this newest scientific hypothesis. Uh, so I thought of building and uh, making a piece that connects these two. So basically use a mathematical structure generated from the Wolfram physics theory, uh, but use a Chinese kind of ink painting visual style uh, to connect this to kind of a bit of unrelated things together to make an interesting artwork. That was the initial kind of idea. Both ways of understanding uh, have sort of a holistic way of thinking, but also a set of abstractions to them as well. Yeah. I actually want to dive into the use of um, and stimulating ink painting in your work because uh, it sort of adds mm -hmm. sort of a human softness to it because it's something that's very organic. I'm really interested in why you keep on returning back to the ink painting, painting um, lines. Um, I think there's, um, because I actually studied computer science in my undergrad, so I know how, well, basically how computer, what computer does when it needs to render something on the screen. So it, it you know, the computer needs to have a very solid understanding of the topology of a mesh for it to render something on the screen. And it basically means triangles. So basically everything you see on your computer screen is rendered with triangles and triangles. So this is very counterintuitive, um, you know, against the things we, we say in, in the natural world. In order to actually kind of better show kind of this, this poetic or humanic feeling in the traditional, we see in the traditional artworks, it's important to kind of rebuild a whole, um, you know, render pipeline. Uh, that kind of not really in line with traditional or, or hardware supported render pipelines as in the computers. Um, and also I think this kind of phenomenon also exists in traditional paintings because, you know, since there's a whole very long time where the warrior painters, this is trying to paint the things in a very realistic way uh, instead of, um, you know, trying to break out the, the shape. So they, they spend hundreds of years trying to capture the really accurate shape, say, of a portrait and the really accurate color of what they see. And that's the things in the end, when we know now, like you have to break the shape for the colors to be really accurate, or you have to lose some color for the shape to be really accurate because those things doesn't really coexist on the painting. So the the thing is not about you know kind of anything scientific. It's just it's about the feeling or the perception of maybe probably how 
human's eye works. So that's actually the same thing in the digital age. So if I trying to paint something like, you know, preserve the kind of those poetic feelings after giving up something on the accurate shape of those 3D models and to really add the fluidity and the flowing of things of the ink, which I which I find is the best representative of this, you know, the things in between um, the human drawing property and the quality of uh, computer renderings. So which, this is why I keep returning to this ink or keep finding the better ways uh, to kind of, you know, bridging these two things together in the digital medium. Okay, so it's that sort of in, in between is a nice way of thinking about it. But essentially, as you say, that essentially the way computers work is always an abstraction. It's always different to nature. But actually, ink painting is sort of interesting because it's sort of not always controllable because it flows and it's always evocative of other things yeah. as well. You sort of alluded to my actual next question. I think I just wanted to explore a little bit. Is your background actually? Mm-hmm. You started studying computer science and game design. How did, do you think that really changes how you think about making art? Um, it, it's actually very interesting because I wanted to make video games back in high school, um, which is why I double majored in computer science and game design. And it, it was way back in 2006. So um I don't think there's any kind of you know media art exhibition in 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 Beijing back then, and I think the first one I attended was in two thousand eight. Uh, there was a group show of a lot of different media art installations, and back in the days, I was really interested in interactions. Um, so the reason I why I was I was making I wanted to make video games was also because I wanted you know use the interaction to create different experiences so that was really the most interesting to me at, at the time because i i already made a few prototypes uh, before i went to saw that exhibition and i figure out what really interests me is those you know the the ways to for for the interaction contents to feedback to the visitors if you make a video game you have to rely on you know an existing platform so I have to work with the things like it works on the gamepad, you know, or work on the mouse and keyboard. But if you make an installation, you can make whatever the physical interface you want. You know, it can be, it can just capture people's presence. It can just capture people's, you know, uh, motion. It, you don't need to rely on, you know, a, a gamepad or a device anymore. It, it opens up a whole new freedom. You know, and uh, this kind of pushes the interaction experience into another dimension, and so that's that's the time when I think, okay, it, it it's a lot lot more fun to make installations than limiting to the video games. Without too much detail, Steph, I'm sort of interested, what sort of technologies you've actually used in phase? Uh, it's actually all very custom made code. Because uh, I have a habit of almost everything I make, um, it, it, it's very bespoke techniques. I do. I usually spend a week or two to research into you know the things I want, and I will uh, find maybe some tutorials or some algorithms, and I will rewrite that into my own framework. 
it's really slow. Uh, I have to say it. <laughs> it's really slow compared to how I do with my commercial works. I kind of enjoy this, you know, process, which I learn both how things works and how it comes out. It, it's, it's not, yeah. The process is also very fun to me. Okay, so the process is fun. So yeah, yeah, you actually enjoy that coding side of it, and the um, so sort of it's actually interesting for me because I run a tech business as my day job. So language based coding is really day to day part of a lot part of my world. But my art life's about node based programming, and there's a sort of pleasure in the in the two two bits in in, the, in that being different. Why have you chosen to, to stay to keep on working with? Um, because you actually work with C plus plus, yeah, right, right. Why have you kept on working rather than working with Sense Touch Designer? Well, one of the things is a lot of my stuff actually does the simulation on the GPU. So all the things you need basically just a place to wrap shaders and things to handle the data structure on the CPU side. The things for Touch Designer is I can definitely work in it. I mean, if I port my things into an NPM package and then I can, I can work it in touch designer. I mean, cause the others, you know, kind of tools provided in touch designer doesn't really benefit me because I say the, the, the ink simulation is actually, I, I write a paper, I think from Hong Kong university a few years back and I write it, I improved it, and made my own package and it works with on the shader and other things they, it just works and uh, it's roughly the same process. So I kind of take some algorithm and write it in my own thing. So they kind of plug in with my other things together. I can't definitely put everything to Tati Zander, but it just feels like one extra layer, which doesn't give me much. Because uh, say Touch Designer or other engines like Unity or Unreal, they provided amazing functionalities in terms of um, say photorealistic rendering or physics uh, or, you know, other other tools that is very built for the industrial or commercial products. It helps a lot when you have a tight background for commercial products, but for personal artwork, I feel like it's, import, it's very important for me to keep the freedom or I don't get limited by the tools. So if I work with the very bespoke things i can you know as long as a say plus code or a simple algorithm i know how to integrate it to it i believe if i now say okay from tomorrow i say i only work with touch designer and i still have to write maybe the same amount of code <laughs> to bring those uh, bespoke or custom made things into touch designer for i to keep working on the same idea yeah so it's almost that because you're working with these bespoke things um it's almost easier to keep on working within it in, in a, yeah. a bespoke environment rather than having to work within the thinking mode of things like touch designer yeah. as well so let's start to touch on this a little bit and what was the process behind making um phase um so the first was actually commissioned by chinese arsenal which they were named to Kakilong. It was it was a web piece because it was in 2020. So I spent maybe a, more than a month to kind of reconstruct the Wolfram um, generative algorithm in JavaScript because I need people to see how, how the graph got growing. After the first web version, which we decided to take it into the offline installation, 
and then I kind of reload those JavaScript things in C++. I figure out something else in time, you know, like how to do the renderings more efficiently because the hypergraph, it can get really, really complicated. It can have like over 9,000 connections in one graph. So I have to, I spent maybe two or three weeks to just, uh, you know, optimize the, the rendering code. It was quite painful. I did thought, okay, I, I should just stop here. But then I, after, maybe after take a break for a week and then I come back, okay, there's something I think I can do it better. And I think in the end, I spent maybe four months uh, to just rework the visuals and add it in the ink painting style. Look at the original white version. It's still online, actually. Uh, it's only got the black and white visuals. It doesn't have the transition between the two visual systems, which I think later becomes the um, core uh, that's supposed to concept. So I think this is really interesting, though. Essentially, you started with a... Uh... Uh, the, the web version, which was a lot simpler version, just really focused in on on the vi on the visuals before you then start to think about the inter interactions. Yeah. It sounds like a huge amount of technical effort and technical problems to get over. So that's sort of nice. rendering that amount of data yeah. as well, which is not always what we want to do as artists. It's probably the best way to put it, but we want yeah. the outcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you start to sort of prototype and work with the um, interactions? Well, the the idea is actually very simple because I, I already thought of um, using a gyroscope to start with. So I can get a really instant feedback to the visitors on the interaction. And then I started throwing different visual effects. So if you shake the controller, you will see like a laser breaking through, like breaking through the dimension. So like just penetrating through the universe and it will be reflecting refracting itself within the transparent lines in, inside the universe. And then it's the it's the kind of collapse animation, which um uh which I was also already had I, I already had that in my mind. So the the, the coding or the pro the, the visual feedback set was quite smooth. It just like I uh, had all that in my mind. The really kind of difficult part was say actually fabrication. So the controller was actually 3D printed and has a transparent frame and all the chips goes in and the batteries and they, there's uh, eight black triangle faces then stick onto the transparent frame. I think I printed at least six prototypes of the frame to get the strength and the support or the inner structure right to fit in everything and it doesn't go loose. I was lucky I have a small printer myself. It's not enough to print the whole thing, but I can print a half to half. And then I think it takes like, you know, a day to print the two and then stick them together, test, okay, it's not strong enough. And then make an, change the model print again. And I think that took me almost a month to get everything right. Finally, okay, this was great. And then I just sent the final model to the proper, you know, industrial level printing service and got back the frame and it just worked the first time. Years ago, I did a whole self-contained object that people pick up and as you roll it around, it makes sounds. I'm actually thinking about a very similar piece, piece again with more modern technologies, but it's interesting. 
I'm not going to actually do the object work this time. I'm going mm. to actually work with an object artist and a someone who works with technologies and mechanics right. as well because right. I sit there and go, actually, I've, <laughs> I've learned and realised that that's just, it's actually really hard mm-hmm. um, and it's quite a, quite a different discipline. So actually, I was really, yeah, because I was wondering about whether or not you'd actually taken on that physicality so you had as well. So yeah. how about the electronics? Was that something you did as well? Yeah, uh, the electronics are easy for me. <laughs> I actually think the electronics is almost the easiest part of some of this stuff. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that has become this really easy. Mm-hmm. What are you currently working on? So currently I'm working on new kind of some, something similar to artificial life. I know there's a kind of, I forgot the scientific name, but there's a well-known jellyfish called lighthouse jellyfish. It's a very small and deep sea creature. um, It actually never dies. Well, if it's not being predated, then it never dies. So if the environment gets really bad, then it will shrink itself back into like the the original, a very small shape, and then it will regrow itself into the full jellyfish. And so it can kind of recycle its own cells. You know, like like he, like like for human, imagine the human can go back to uh, can can turn all his cells into stem cells and then then grow again. It's kind of like that feeling. So it's like this this jellyfish can choose to live again and again and again and never dies. So I kind of take this reference and wanted to make a piece where a, a jellyfish will be reacting to visitors' um, motion, where like you. And they can sense whether people are looking at it, and then they were trying to grow to the best shape to kind of appeal to the visitors. And if it doesn't succeed, it will reborn itself and try a different shape. So it's almost like someone who tries to make a connection with uh, you know other people but fails every time. So he tries to change his shape and um, you know to do try another time. So just like a like this tiny jellyfish, non-noticeable, but trying to change itself and uh, live another life at time and time. And um, yeah, so this is the concept. And this will also be rendered in the ink painting style because I, I had some new ideas of, um, um, you know, some might be some interesting ink painting um, rendering techniques in this piece. I wants to try it out too. So essentially, it's that, that's the, the idea of eternal life and things cycling in different ways, yeah. but also that being a reflection of what people's motion and interaction is as well. Yeah. Interesting. Sounds like a great... Is that going to be an individual experience or a group experience? One jellyfish or multiple? Um, there will be a... I think there will be a very intimate... I was hoping this can be shown that... If, you know, like a small gallery where just maybe allow maybe just five people in the room and so they can get this really intimate experience with the piece. That's really interesting because I'm going to say that's the complete opposite to the spectacle that a lot of interactive work is. Yeah. It's interesting that I reached out to you because that's the direction I'm going in to sit there and say, actually, there's only one or two people allowed in the room at one particular time and you have to make a booking beforehand to, to, so, so the space mm. is contemplated in your space. space. It's, it's, it's quite a different type of thinking about audience interactions as well. Yeah. 
as a bit of a wrapper, what's your greatest piece of advice to other artists working with interactions? I think um, this is just to try and fail. Um, yeah, accumulate as much as skills as you can because you never know when it will come into effect. Thank you. That's actually a lovely way to wrap up the, the actual fact failing is the most important thing to be able to, to learn as an artist. Thank you so much. Thank you. In the background, I'm currently working on a documentary about the nature of Japanese gardens. This is sort of linked to some thinking about Japanese gardens as installation art. In one of the conversations with a garden designer, he talks about his gardens being based on contemporary scientific ways of thinking and understanding the world compared to traditional Zen gardens, which are based on uh, traditional Buddhism. What I find really profound about Steph's work is this combination of an ancient way of thinking of Taoism with contemporary computational thinking of the Wolfram Physics Project's rule set. Steph's work feels like the complete opposite to so much of interactive work at the moment. Steph's work feels like the complete opposite of so much immersive work at the moment. Only a few people can experience the piece at once. And it creates a narrative that invites the audience and the participants into a deeper philosophical dialogue. Another important aspect of this discussion with Steph for me was talking about his process. When we talked about using touch designer, I kept on being reminded that it's quite often faster than and easier to just keep on working with the tools we know. The week I recorded this interview, I also talked to someone else that was working with electronics. And both reminded me that electronics is actually easy, but it's the physicality of the works involving the electronics that's often challenging. For Steph, this was the objects. Thank you so much for listening to the Creating New Spaces show. If you got value from this, chances are that other people in your community will. Please share the link to the show with your colleagues and friends or mention the show on social media.